Happy New Year from wherever you are tuned in from. It's hard to believe we are in 2023, but hey, here we are. This month, we have sermons for you that will give you a guiding hope for the year. My name is Philip Moura and here is today's message. I am so excited to get to share the word of God. Um, I'd like to share from an interesting book. Let me call it, it's it's interesting. Uh, This is the book of Job. I don't know where you were last night and which Kesha you went to. I don't know what the message from the Lord of the year is. Um, But the message for the year this morning, we'll get to hear from the book of Job chapter 1. What I'd like to do is, um, is I'll read chapter 1 from, from verse 1 to about verse 12, and then I'll go back and then we can see some of the observations that we'll make from the word of God. Amen? If you're there, I think we can start the book of Job chapter 1 from verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house, in the house of each one on his day, and they would send an invite to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, and there is none like him on earth? A blameless, upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father Lord, uh, we are not tired of calling upon your name, of being before your throne. So this morning, prepare our hearts to hear from you. I pray that the light of the Holy Spirit will illuminate these words, that you'll speak to our hearts, that you'll give us a conviction, and that you'll turn our attention fully to you and to your, great, to your greatness and to your mercies. So would you be with us this morning, speak to us, encourage us, teach us, rebuke us with your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I can give us a few things to to think through. Let me call them a few facts about the book of Job. Uh, The book of Job is considered to be one of the oldest books in the Bible. 
If you guys, in the new year, I don't know whether you have this habit of going through the Bible. You're saying my new year resolution is going through the Bible. So you can do that. There are several plans that people go through. You can do the page-to-page plan if you've done that. But then if you've already done the page-to-page, you go look for other ideas of having a Bible reading plan. There's one they call it the chronological order. So if you've ever tried that Bible reading plan, you get that you start a few chapters of Genesis, But then before the book of Genesis ends, you start the book of Job. Have you ever noticed that? If you've not and you decided to use that strategy, you will notice that before the book of Genesis, the chapters in Genesis ends, you start the book of Job, showing that it was, it's considered to be one of the oldest uh, books in the Bible. Some scholars say that it predates the time of Moses. And if it does not, it comes around the period of Kina Abraham as well. So Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. One of the ways you're able to know that it is one of the oldest, it's because of the language. Uh, It uses the original manuscripts in Hebrew, uh, the ancient Hebrew. There's modern Hebrew that people are even studying now, but if you go to look for meaning in in the very old manuscripts, you find that the book of Job was written in ancient Hebrew. So again, it continues to show us that it is one of the oldest books of the Bible. Another fact about the book of, the, uh, about the book of Job is that it is a poetic book. Again, if you've gone, especially through our Nawiri classes, we are able to tell you they are Pentateuch, they are, they are the, the canonical books, there's the history books, there's the prophetic books, but they are also poetic books. So Job is one of the poetic books. Maybe sometimes as you study and see, you might ask, how, how does it qualify to be a poetic book? How you know, if you use poetry, the modern poetry that we know about, how Hickory, Dick, Doc, Clock, you know that rhyming? If you follow the modern poetry and say, but I don't see that in the book of Job, you might get lost. It's because poetry back in the ancient days used to be about rhyming of thoughts and ideas as opposed to rhyming of words. Okay, so should you visit the book of uh, the book of Job and say, just say that it is a poetic book? Okay, not just those those theologians. Those theologians say that uh, it's a, it's a poetic book. You might not find that, but look for a flow of thoughts, flow of ideas. You will find that it is uh, it is a poetic book. So the author and 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 place and date of. Uh, of the book of Job is uncertain. That's what they say. There's a period that scholars give, but it is uncertain. So that's, that's all right. We can leave it at that. The book is not primarily, when we visit the book of Job, maybe you're already knowing it's about suffering because of what Job went through, the sores, the losing of, the, the losing of, the, uh, of wealth, the losing of kids, and all those many things that were happening to Job. You might conclude that it is only about suffering. But the, the answer, actually, the core message in the book of God, it's, it's questions. It's an inner life that's at war, that's asking questions, that wants to, to almost, it's, it's about a theology, an understanding of what God is really saying. Why is God doing these things? So it's not just talking about the things that happened to that guy. Yes, it is those things that happened to that guy. His health was at stake. His finances were at stake. But much more and much deeper, it's about the, the, the questions that men and women find themselves in, trying to grapple and ask, where is God in, where is God in this? So do you see how it's about theology? 
when you're asking those questions. If God is good, why did he allow one, two, three to happen to Job, but also in my life as well? So that's the core message when it comes to the book of Job. So I'd I'd now like us to transition into seeing a few things from from the verses that we have read in in first Job and see what do we get to know about Job. Okay, are we together? Let's look at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's the Bible's commentary about this guy. The Bible tells us and shows us that he was an exceedingly righteous man. He was not perfect or sinless, but completely devoted to God. No one could righteously blame, stand and blame Job for the sin that for the for the sin that they could do. And here, mark you, it's not a question of whether he was a see, we are all sinners. See, we have all we were born, we were all born with sin and stuff. That's not really what we are talking about. We are talking about the heart attitude towards matters God. Job was found to be to be righteous and blameless, that no one can deny that. And if you may raise up that question and ask. But he was born a sinner. Why is the Bible talking about such a thing? I'd like to tell you, if you hold the word of God to be true and perfect and right, you cannot contend with scripture. When it makes that testimony about Job that he was blameless, you need to take a posture of humility and say, when the Bible says that that was Job, that was Job. So that's the commentary and that's God's word and and, and testimony about Job. So everything else we will see that happened to Job did not happen because he was a sinful man. All right? Then we go to verse 3. What else do we get to know about Job? He, He was a blessed man with impressive world and status. Let's look at verse 3. He possessed 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 male donkeys, and very many servants, such that, such that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. Can you imagine that? And if you go again to the, to the Bible, to the biblical, back into the Bible times, to the ancient times, possessing all these things that the Bible actually goes to specific details of saying how many they were, these was a lot of wealth. Think about even the traditional communities right now in Kenya that give, um, that give uh, maybe let's say bride price in form of animals. Have you ever seen someone giving 7,000 sheep or something? It's ridiculous. So this is a lot of wealth that this guy possessed. He was a man of uh, affluence. He was an incredibly uh, famous and wealthy man. You ask, what did he do with all that wealth that he had? Because now the Bible has told us, I know that question might pop up in your mind. Later in the book, we learn that he helped the needy with his wealth. He cared for the handicapped and the dying. He cared for the orphans. He argued in court for the underprivileged. This was a rich, godly man who cared for the marginalized in society. The small ones, in a manner of speaking, those who do not have a status in society, he would go and argue the whole day. But you'll get to see this if you read the later chapters in the book of Job. So, do you see how, how the Bible's commentary about Job, about devotion to God, is becoming right as we see these things? Another thing that we get to learn about Job is that he's, he, he had 10 kids. Let's look at verse 4. 
um, his 10 kids, rather, used to get together on the appointed, on the appointed day. His sons used to go and hold a feast, I'm in verse 4, and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send an invite, an invite and their, their three sisters to eat and drink with them. I think when you, I come from a big family, by the way. I come from a big family. I, I tell you guys, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I come from a big family. And to see kids united and meeting, I think when it says they used to meet together, each on his day, I think it, it, it means on their birthday. When everyone had their birthday, they would all gather together and celebrate one another. Now, as a parent, I'm not yet a parent, but I don't think it takes rocket science for you to know that. When you see your kids coming together to celebrate one another, for me that says they love one another, they care for one another. So Job had that great privilege of even bringing up his family well, such that his kids were together, were united, and were there for one another. So that's another thing that we get to, we get, we get to know about him. If, if they were not happy, if it wasn't a happy family, they wouldn't show up, maybe on Christmas Day, um, Jasmine would be present, but my brother David will not be there, something like that. But because we love one another, we will all get to show up. So I hope you're noticing the things we are talking about Job and who he was. Verse 5, another thing we get to know about Job is that after every of their meetup, these kids meet up, Job would consecrate them by offering burnt sacrifices to God just in case they sinned and cursed God in their, in their hearts. So, it's not that there were things they saw. They, it's not that Job saw wicked things as they went partying at probably when they were doing their New Year party. It's not that Aliona Ville, uh, daughter number A, this is how she was behaving, and I know that is not right before God. No, it's, it's nothing that he saw. But just in case someone in their hearts thought, Are you, you God, Kwani? Is, is, that, is, that, is it ever serious? Is it that serious to live for God? I don't know. So Job would go and offer burnt sacrifices to God so that just in case one of them sinned and cast God in their hearts, they would be right with God. Remember, that's how reconciliation, Christ had not come to earth yet. So that's how reconciliation, that's how forgiveness, these guys would receive forgiveness from God by offering uh, sacrifices. So we see that, um, so it's not that the kids here were sinful and wicked and needed constant atonement. No, it's a commentary on Job was a godly man that exercised his priestly duties for his family. So again, a devoted man of God. So these are the first five verses in the first book of Job. So if you read the book of Job up to verse five, you'd have no idea that this book is about war. It's about war that is fought on the inner life when a man and a woman are trying to make sense of the deepest questions in life. It will end there and you will say, God, I pray that I'll be like Job. And, and until you read the rest of the chapters and you're like, God, I was kidding. Or God, I did not know because of what is happening. So after, after the prologue in the first five verses, we are introduced to another peculiar scene that's happening in heaven, okay? Seems that God, it seems like, because it says, let me, let me read just what it says in verse, um, in verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. You know, it looks like God has these meetings, Maybe, maybe it's annual general meeting, I don't know what it was, but it looks like God has these meetings with these guys. So this day, 
Satan came, the sons of God came to present themselves, and then the Bible says Satan came also with them. All right? So this scene of heaven, if you read from verse 6 to verse 12, the scene is very clear to us, the Bible readers. But I want to tell you, Job did not know about what is going on. See, we've read and seen what Satan and God have said to one another about Job and stuff. Job is not aware. So we are privileged that we know what is going on. And so when you read the later chapters about what happens to Job, you have an idea. Oh, God will discuss na, na Satan who could you. But for Job himself, he's not aware at all. So he's in complete sign. He's in complete what? Uncertainty, that's what happens when you're up here. But the story of Job would make sense to us because of what we see in the heavenly scene. So there's an interesting phrase here, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. When that phrase, sons of God, appears in the Old Testament, it, it refers to, to angelic beings. So, the angels, like Kina Angel Gabriel, Angel Michael, whom we refer, so the, the ministering spirits of God is what angels are, right? It refers to that. And then it refers also to the fallen angels. When Satan was dethroned from heaven and thrown down, when you read Revelation, you're able to get that picture. There are some angels that went down with them. So the fallen angels, and we rightly call them demons. So isn't that interesting? God has meetings with Shaito, demons, and his nini. I found that peculiar. That's why I called it a peculiar scene. Then, um, then it says, that, that, that verse says that Satan also came with them, indicating that Satan is an angelic being. All right? He says the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among with them. So he is a creature. He is not. You know, sometimes when, because of the overwhelming things Satan sometimes sends our way, we have the temptation to inflate the status of Satan to be an opposite of God. So this morning is what I want to remind you, that Satan is not an opposite of God. Satan is a creature. So he is like any these other, other things that God created. So do not be tempted, even when things get super difficult, even when you're super aware that Satan is beating you up. He's not an opposite of God. God has no opposite. God is enthroned and remains on that throne in and of himself, and no one else can be compared to him. Amen? Amen. So resist the temptation to put Satan on a pedestal. Let's look at verse 7. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord, let's just pause, actually, let's just pause in verse 7. When God asks Satan where he's coming from, what answer does Satan give? From going to and fro the earth, right? You might ask yourself this morning, what was he doing as he went to and fro around the earth? You can, if you're, again, you are a holistic Bible reader, you know of a scripture in First Peter, verse 8, that says, the devil is like a roaring, roaring lion, I got it. <laughs> it's like a roaring lion, he moves around seeking whom to devour. 
So Satan is diligent in his job. Even as he's going up to meet up with God, he's coming from his business. He's very diligent to look around, to move ar- a- 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 along the, the streets of Mamlaka and see, who is that? Who is that loitering? Who is that that seems unaware? Who is this saint that comes, calls themselves a Christian but seems unaware? If you, I, I remember there's a time I was doing a study of that, of that verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, he, he prowls around. If you ever watched Nat Geo and looked at the praise when they're going on a predator, they never just okay there, you know, to the, to the prey like that. They run behind a tree. There's another bush. They lie flat on the ground. And then when the deer face, you know, faces to the other direction, the prey comes running and pounces on it, you know, and devours the prey. So that's the same phrase that, the, that First Peter uses to describe the devil. So if you dare turn away from God, if you dare turn away from your focus, that's what the enemy will do to you. So beware of his schemes, church. Beware of his strategies. Do not turn away your focus and your attention from God because he is diligent in his job. He rolls around like a roaring lion seeking one to devour. He has a very keen interest on what is happening on earth. And we know what his interest is, is to ensure that as many as can will one day go to damnation in hell and burn in the lake of fire together with them. So I pray that none of you this morning will be found having lost your attention away from God. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Notice something here. Who introduces the name Job to the other? Is it Satan or God? It's God who brings up the name. And I was thinking to myself, after, all, after reading the whole book of Job and knows what happens to Job, if I was Job and got to know that it is God who brought up, then it's not even Shaito who, who brought my name up. It was God where I'll be so mad, Nico. Of all the people you looked, unge bring up Kalegi. Why me? You know, I'll be, I'll be so mad. But it's interesting that God brings up the name. So it was God's initiative. But here's the reason for, Job, for, for God bringing up Job's name to Satan. He was bragging about his blamelessness and his uprightness. And I have a question for you to ask this morning. You know, as God, as God does those comments, here's what he's doing. Remember what verse 1 said about Job. Remember we had to look, what does the Bible say about Job? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So we come back to, we come back to, to verse 8. It says, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So God is, is bringing truth, is, is, is almost saying what was said about Job in verse 1 is true because I'm now saying it about. So the author said this, but now we're seeing a scene where it's now God uttering those specific words. So I want us to take a pause and ask you, yourself and ask us this question. What is or would be God's witness of you? Think about if you had an opportunity to, to, if not an opportunity, if that scene was to happen again behind the curtains. And now this time round, it is, it is your name comes up and says, uh, have you seen my servant Jasmine? You know, have you seen my servant put your name there? What would be God's testimony about you? Would he, 
would he testify of you as he testified of Job? You know, may the Lord graciously help us. I think that can only be the prayer. And I hope that as you set New Year's resolutions, is that you'll be equally concerned, not just about people's testimony of you, but about God's testimony of you. Because we see this is real, guys. This is not a mythical story told in the Old Testament. This happened. This is real. So meaning, Satan, the accuser of brethren, as Revelation calls him, constantly does go to do that business. So when your name comes up, what does he say? I pray that all of us, the Lord will help us. That our, our description is, will be one who is loving, one who is peaceful, one who fears God, one who loves his people, one who is concerned about the matters of God. I pray that that will be the witness that God will have to say about us. Let's look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So when God poses that question, have you considered my servant? Hey, Shaito goes like, hey, of course. Of course I was doing, I was going about my business. Of course I have considered him. You know, that's the, he's very quick to answer that. But as he, as he kind of confidently, this is what my mind imagines, as he kind of confidently answers that, he is amazed about the stark difference between a saint, one who knows God, and him. Because he's already fallen. He's already doomed for damnation. But we who have been rescued, we who are called by the name of Jesus Christ, there's a difference. So secretly, he feels at the back of his mind, mm-mm, um, guy, guy. Okay, I don't know whether he says guy. I don't know, I don't know whether he says that. But he, he knows, he knows, my goodness, my goodness, it's, it's not good. There is a difference indeed. He knows that even though he has fallen, we who are called by the name of Christ can stand in God's presence. He's amazed at how happy, you see the peace that you enjoyed. It's not that Satan enjoys it. In fact, that's why he fights it. Because he can see, I do not enjoy that. I'm outside of God's kingdom. But you have it, and I'm envious of that. And what I want to do is rob it. So again, guys, beware of his schemes. Beware of his strategies. He's after that peace. So beware of the things that you're doing that you intentionally know are taking you away from God. He wants you to join his team so that you're all doomed for the lake of fire. He admires but hates the peace that we enjoy as believers. He seeks an opportunity to find fault in us to comfort his soul. And where am I coming? Where did I get that, these words that I'm reading from? It's from what he says. Does he fear you for nothing? He must find fault in what we do towards God. So that rightly gives him Satan, the accuser of brethren. We see that in Revelation. So he accuses Job, insisting that his godliness was because of what God had given him and what he could get out of it. So Job is committed to God. Job is blameless because you've done all these things for him, God. It's not because he rightly loves you. It's not because he's, he, he's devoted to you for nothing. There's a gain at the end of the line that he is after, constantly accusing us before God. Satan here is a cynic, and a cynic is one who doubts any good that is done. So he doubts, Satan the cynic doubts the good that Job does. And not only Job, he doubts the good that we do too. 
So cynicism, there's someone who said, there's, um, there's, a, there's a commentary that said, I think the guy's called Anderson, he said that cynicism is the essence of the satanic. And I paused there, I was like, those are such heavy words. And I asked myself, do I have a cynical heart? Are you the one who constantly looks at the work done for God and in the kingdom of God and your, and your, and your business is constantly slander it? You are a cynic. And if you're a cynic, you're being equated to the, to the father of cynicism, who is Satan. So again, guys, as we start the new year, let's be, be, be utterly concerned about the status of our hearts, the, the, the attitude of our heart, the posture, the thoughts that cross. Because sometimes we can mask, I can come up here and, and mask with good words, eloquent words, pointing out the mistakes that people do. But deep down in my heart, I'm... You know, you can tell. So be wary of a cynical heart. We've seen who the initiator of a cynical, of a cynical heart is. It is the devil. But as we read this, we get to know that, yes, Satan is constantly accusing us of the good that we do. He's accusing our godliness and saying that it's, it's because of the gain that we'll get from it, what exactly he did to Job. But I'd like us to keep our hearts bare before God this morning as his word is illuminating our hearts and intentions and ask this question, could it be that your allegiance to God is only because of what he gives? Could it be that your coming to church is because, me, I want God to bless me. Me, I want God to do this for me. Remember when last year when we were starting, oh my God, I can already say last year, when we were starting on the principle of the tithes. Could it be because the Bible says that your pockets will be closed, the canker worms will not attack you? Remember, the reason we were doing that series was so that our hearts can be redirected so that we know that it is about putting God first. It's not just about what we gain from it. So I ask you this morning, could it be that your allegiance to God is because of only what he gives? Would Satan, the accuser, have a solid case against you? My prayer is that your devotion to God is first of all because of who he is, because he's the creator of the world, because he formed you, because none other deserves our worship when you say he's the only worthy one. That's the song that we just sang. That your devotion and allegiance to him is even though you strip off everything of me, my allegiance, my worship, my praise only belongs to you. And it reminds me of the scripture in Luke that says, I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest shall be added unto you. So the blessings that come your way, they are not your object of worship. The blessings that come your way, it's because that's what God gives. If you belong to God's family, he's the king of the world, that's what he gives. But it's not because you're, 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 you're devoting yourself to him so that you can get all those things. Are we clear? May that be our prayer of our heart. And again, I say, as we start the new year, may that be the attitude of our heart, that we will realign our priorities. We will realign our affections. We will realign our desires and God will come first and then the rest shall be added unto us. Verse 10 and 11. Um, Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and, and have increased in the land? But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Satan insists that Job would curse God if the hedge of protection around him is withdrawn. Satan believed that adversity would move Job from his faith standpoint. Would adversity 
move your affections away from Jesus, from God, if he took away all that you have, would your heart be found connected to him and living for him? It's a question to ponder. Something interesting again, God, remember, God brings up the name of Job to Satan. Satan makes, says all these things. If you remove all those things, stretch out your hand and strike him and see whether he'll not turn away your attention. You'd think, hey, 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 ooh, God would say, hey, may I know this shaito. He will go and attack this guy. But guess what he says in verse 12? And the Lord says to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. I'm like, really, God? Really? Who is in it a tear? You know that's on the tongue of It doesn't look like that's what he's doing here in verse 12. He says, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So behold, all that he has is in your hand. So notice that God does not shield Job. He allows Satan to touch Job. But did you notice something interesting? Only against him do not stretch out your hand. That's important for us to notice. So God gave Satan great but limited power. Because imagine to kill his children. If you read later in the chapters on what happened, kill his children, uh, their servants, the, the livestock that he held, everything. And then on top of that, he goes ahead and attacks his own body. Siange muacha too, at least. Akosa watoto na everything else, but I enjoy some sort of sanity. But he goes ahead to strike even his body as well. So here's something for us to, to, to know and, and notice. That God gives Satan great power, but limited, great but limited power to attack Job. God will not let down the hedge, but he won't remove it. God, oh, sorry, sorry. God will let down the hedge because he does ask Job to go ahead. You know, he, do, he does ask Satan to go ahead and attack Job. So the head, in a sense, is brought down, but it's not removed. Because he says, but touch not his life. Think of this. What would Satan do to you if God let him be? So almost this statement is telling us, if you read the rest of the chapters and know what happened to Job, yet God had not given full power and authority to Satan to attack Job. And I think this is what God is telling us from his word. I know you're in places where you feel like Satan is winning. He's taking over the day. But as hard as this truth come, comes by, what is happening to you would be 100 times worse if Satan had been given full control. You're still standing even though you're mourning, even though you're in tears, even though there's no peace. It could be worse. It could get worse. It could kill you. It could finish everything. It could take away even your salvation because ultimately, remember, ultimately what, God is inter- what Satan is interested in is not your money, it's not your children, it's your heart and the heart of your family and your children. So be encouraged that, that even though I am facing these trials and temptations right now, even though these things look like the world is caving in on me, it could be worse. It could be worse. But Satan is on a leash, guys. You know, you look at the, if you've gone to Karura for walks or any other nature parks that you've gone to, there are, some, there are some lanes that they say if you have your pet, your dog or something, and you're walking with them, they say the dog needs to be on a leash, you know. That's, that's the picture God is giving us about Satan. That even though he looks like he's biting, he's barking at you loudly, he's about to pounce on, he's on a leash. And what is happening to you is only that which God has allowed So God is sovereign over all the affairs of your life. Everything that's happening to you, he is sovereign. But remember, he's putting Job through all these tests because 
He wants to prove that he's blameless and upright. So when you say everything worketh together for good for them that are in Christ Jesus, God has been found to be true. Because he's allowing all this to happen to Job to prove his righteousness, that his commitment to God has nothing to do with what he has. But be reminded this morning that Satan on his own, at least he does only that which God allows him to do. God will never unleash Satan fully upon you. So hold on, my brother and sisters. Hold on. He will not let Satan kill you, overwhelm you, finish you, because he's on a leash. Even though it may feel like he has been let loose, remind your heart that God cannot do that to you. Satan did only what he allowed him to do to serve his purposes. And in, his, in, and in Job's case, it was to prove his blamelessness. We see in the verses that, um, that we have read that God has, has no hand in a sense in Job's suffering, you know. He remains blameless for what happens to Job, but he allows it. And again, another difficult truth and, and can tend to be a bit theological. So again, why we ask you to go to, to our Nawiri classes to say, okay, if he's good, why is, is he along? Yes, he did not touch Job, but why did he allow it? Those are, those are things that the Bible is not, ex, at least from this text, super explicit about it. But what we are sure, he's doing something greater to prove his blamelessness and his uprightness. So as you go through the dark waters, as you, as you go through the rough waters, pray that you will soar with Christ on the waves, on the storms, that the storms will not overwhelm you because your anchor is sure and founded in God. Amen? Verse, verse 12, part B says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan left the presence of the Lord and initiated a sequence of attacks on Job. Let me just read some of the things that he did. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped. Then we go to the next one. He talks about the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up all the ships. Then only one remained. So he... he he, servants come and tell him things after things after things. It's like Satan could not wait. Ah, yeah, yeah, what I mean in the business, yangu. Because it says he left the presence of the Lord. Next scene we are introduced to is what is happening to Job. So you read all those things, but this is how chapter one ends. And this is verse 22 of chapter one. Let me actually start from verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Worshipped? After you're told my animals have been taken, my sheep have been burned up and all that. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Can you imagine, guys? So that's Job, God's servant. That's his attitude after all that happened. And I would encourage you to study the book of Job and, and keenly especially to see the conversations that he has with friends, the conversations that he has with God himself and how the book ends. It's interesting. But we, after learning all that, we come back to our context and say, like, looking at the past three years, things have been super difficult. The world has, is still in suffering. Right after battling a global pandemic, we entered a season of war in Ukraine, and we know what that has done to the global economy. 
We know what has happened to the shilling and the value and all that. Some of us are yet to, uh, to, 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 to get out of the adverse economic effects from elections and everything else that has happened in our country. And maybe you're super caught up in debts and you're in a quagmire. Some of us, it's a deep um, sense of pain because of the loss that you have gone through and you've, you're yet at, you are yet to rise up from the waters. To others, it could be a marriage relationship that you have lost. You prayed for months and begged God to help you recover, but you still felt like you lost. Others could be battling a chronic illness and it feels that God has been mute about it. Others, it could be a battle against a habitual sin that you constantly cry to God to, to help you but you still haven't won. Or maybe you're in this, you're not in any of the categories but, that I have stated, but you identify with Job's wife that he's, he, she says later to him in chapter two. You know, the wife goes and tells Job after seeing all the suffering that's upon, upon, his, uh, upon the husband and says, curse God and die so that your misery can come to an end. So you're not maybe in this category, but that's what you're feeling in your heart right now. I want you to remind you, even though it feels like Satan is winning, Remember that he's on a leash, guys. Remember that he's not fully upon you. God is still holding your hand. God is still together with you. As sovereign God has allowed all that to befall you, he will sustain you. He has allowed it, but he will sustain you. Amen? So I commend you into the hands of the one who does not sin against man. The reason this message is relevant for this new year is because we're still in a hurting world. We cannot escape the consequences of sin. We cannot escape the, the hurts and the difficult things that happen to our world. So it could be you're not in any of the above categories that I have mentioned, but should trials come because we're in a sinful world? I pray that you will say like Job, shall we only take that which is good from the Lord? I pray that the Lord can strengthen your heart so strongly and say, the fact that he has allowed that to come to, I shall take him too, because I know he's holding my hand. The end of chapter, chapter 2 says, despite all this, Job did not sin with his lips. What an amazing thing to be said about someone who is under extreme trials. I hope that your heart, as you go through the rough waters, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you will say, the Lord wounds, but he also heals. That you will strongly hold on to that word. That the God that I do not understand what the conversations are behind the curtains, what it is he's saying. And he has wounded me. I'm in deep tears. I'm in deep remorse. I'm hurting deeply, but he will heal me. And finally, to you who is doing well, the points stated earlier are realities of many people that are in this church. So as we start the new year as well, would you commit to intercede for others? You may be, and these are blessings of God, the fact that you have peace, you have money, you don't feel like you're struggling with any of the above categories. I want to commend you. Pray for your people. Pray that God will give you a heart that, that cares for fellow believers, that you'll be aware of someone who's lost someone, who's looking for a job, any kind of struggling that they're going through, and you'll commit to interceding for them. Happy New Year, church. I want to say, if you forget everything that I have said, our God is sovereign over everything that happens to you. Nothing in our lives occurs without his knowledge and permission. So you're safe in his hands because he's involved. So face the enemy with full assurance that God's got you and the enemy is defeated. 
At the end of the book of Job, after he withstood the test, the Lord restored everything that Job had lost. His latter days were more blessed than the beginning. When you stand the trials and temptation, the Lord does restore. He's no man's debtor. He restores both in this life and even better in the life to come. The life that he promises in our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Know that if when we were fallen and alienated from him, he went ahead and reconciled us to himself by offering his son, Jesus Christ. We did not know. Now that we know the things we are going through, how much more is he able to do for us? So face the year with confidence. Face the trials with confidence, knowing that the Lord is for you. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.